Have you ever prayed for something that was just ridiculously silly? You know, you lose your phone and you start to panic because you're like, oh no, it's got all my pictures on it, and my kids and all my contacts and everything, and, and you're hurrying, kind of run walking back to your car. Oh dear Jesus, let it be in the glove compartment or let it be in the cup holder. And you get back to your car and there it is. And oh man, thank you God for my phone being right there in the seat or wherever it was you left it. Um, or maybe you went out to eat with a friend and then they text you a few hours later and tell you that they're throwing up and you think, oh dear Jesus, please don't let it be food poisoning from the restaurant we just ate at and, and for the next 36 hours every tummy grumble makes you nervous and then you end up fine and you're like, oh, thank you Lord, I didn't end up like that guy or your friend. And um, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, he tells uh, a great little story about when he was first married and uh, him and his wife, they came home from vacation, and, and their house was really hot. In the middle of summer, just unbearably hot, and they thought, oh no, the air conditioner's broken. And his wife looked at him and said, can you, can you fix it? And he said he didn't want to be embarrassed in front of his new bride, but he couldn't fix anything. And, but he says, yeah, I'll take a look, sure, you know, whatever, honey. And so he goes back there and does the extent of his, you know, mechanical know-how, which was give it a few kicks and a few pounds, you know, and, and nothing happens. And, and so he said, I'm a pastor, so I did the only thing I could in desperation of not wanting to be embarrassed in front of my new bride. He's like, I prayed for my air conditioner. He said, I put one hand on it and one hand to the sky, and I prayed that God would heal my air conditioner. He's like, and I kid you not, halfway through that prayer, the air conditioner kicked on and was running perfectly full blast. And he said, it's such a dumb little thing, and you almost feel silly for praying to the God of the universe to fix your air conditioner or find your phone or not help you not get food poisoning or whatever it is. But, you know, sometimes those little prayers are the ones that get answered. And, and that brings the question up, okay, why is it that sometimes God would answer those itty-bitty, teeny-weeny, insignificant, meaningless little prayers, but doesn't answer or doesn't answer the way we want him to on the things that seem huge, the life-altering prayers that we pray in desperation? Why will he, you know, sometimes bless us with, a parking spot at the mall when we ask for it, front row parking at the mall, but he won't take away the migraine headaches that are debilitating to you. Like, why is it that, that that's how God sometimes seems to work in this world? And so today we're just going to look at the, the times when God seems uncooperative. When God doesn't seem to be, you know, playing, the rules that we, playing by the rules that we want him to play by. And the basic idea that we're going to look at today is prayer. Because prayer is actually at the heart of this topic. Because when God is uncooperative, basically what's happening is you're praying for something and God's not giving you what you want. God is not actually delivering to you. He's not playing along with what you would like God to do. And basically, I want us just to kind of discover some truths about prayer today. Um, and I've said this every week of this series. These aren't going to be the most comforting thoughts about prayer. Uh, these aren't going to make you walk out of here. If you've got something going on in your life, you're not going to walk out of here and go, oh, I totally get it now. That makes everything okay. Do, 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 do. That's not exactly what this is. But life is real, and life has real pain, real complexity, and I don't think there's always nice, neat, clean, little you know, coffee mug verses that are just going to make all of that evaporate. Because even in a world with a, a wonderful, loving God, pain still happens. And so I'm not going to um, treat it like it's some small thing where I can just, you know, give you 30 minutes of little blurbs and you're going to walk out of here and I'm going to fix everything. That's just not how it works. So we're going to learn a little bit about prayer today. But the first truth I want to tell you about prayer 
is something that we get wrong so very often, and it's this. Prayer is not about getting our way. That's not the main thing about prayer. That is the most common thing we hear about prayer. I mean, basically anybody. I mean, you don't have to be, uh, get, get, you know, a source from a Christian. When, but when anybody talks about prayer, it's almost always you pray so you can get your way. You pray to God and God will do for you what you want him to do. But that is not what prayer is for. And I think when we do that, when we look at prayer that way, we are really, really, really missing the point. But unfortunately, we all believe this. You might not say it, but you believe it. This is why you don't pray very much when life is good and your prayer life like skyrockets when life is bad. Because when life is good, you're already getting your way. And when life gets bad, you're not getting your way, and you want God to give you your way, and so you pray a ton more because you think, maybe if I pray, God will give me my way. And that is not the primary purpose of prayer. It's part of it. Yes, we can ask God for things, but when you limit prayer and talking to the creator of the universe down to this one little idea, this one little idea, you are really, really missing the point and hindering your walk with your Savior. And some people take it even farther and you know, we, we have a kind of this extra little idea that maybe we can, you know, influence God a little bit more. Maybe there's something we can do to, to kind of make God or make God more likely to do what we want. And so we think if I'm a good person or if I'm a good Christian, and we say it different ways, but if I'm overall, if I basically do good things, then God is way more likely to answer my prayers. And so we pray, okay, okay, God, I went to church today. I went to church and I, I gave and I, or I saw somebody the other day that was on the side of the street and I threw him a few bucks. You know, they had a sign and I threw him some money and I said, bless you. And, or how about this, God, I was nice to my spouse all week. Didn't say one mean thing to my wife all week. I was even nice to that random lady at the store who was rude to me, and I didn't say anything rude back to her, even though she totally deserved it, God. So God, now that I'm praying for this, come on, you, I've done for you, now you do this for me. I scratched your back, I did what you wanted, now you return the favor. And in various ways, we think there's some kind of little equation or code that we can work out in our lives, that if we do this, then God has to do whatever it is we want him to do. But the second truth about prayer is that obedience to God does not guarantee influence over God. Just because you are faithfully doing all that God would have you do, that does not mean that he has to give you what you want. Because again, it's not all about your way or my way. That's missing the point of prayer. Now, if this were true, if God had to give you your way because you were obedient, if, if prayer was just about you doing or God giving you what you want, then there is one guy in the Bible whose life totally doesn't make sense at all. And so we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with Paul, Paul was originally a Christian-hating murderer who was converted and saved by Jesus and then became a church-planting like monster, like he would travel all over the ancient Roman world, planting churches, telling people about Jesus. I mean, this guy was absolutely unstoppable. And I don't know if there's anyone in the New Testament outside of Jesus who did more to share the gospel than Paul did. I don't know if there's anybody in the New Testament who was more dedicated to the mission of Christ than Paul was. And so Paul basically submitted his entire life to traveling around the world and preaching about Jesus. And he endured some horrible things 
Because of that, um, Paul was repeatedly beaten and whipped by people who didn't like him talking about Jesus. He got tossed in jail on numerous occasions because people didn't like him talking about Jesus, and they thought, let's just put him in there, and that'll shut him up. And prison then was not like prison now. Okay, there wasn't a rec room. You didn't get three meals a day. You didn't get a cot with even a thin little mattress to, to lay on. Most prisons then were a dark, damp, rocky hole in the ground. That's where he got stuck for who knows how long, various times. Um, he got shipwrecked a few times. Now, I think if I was in a shipwreck once, I'd drive. You know, I would stop getting in boats. He got shipwrecked like three times because traveling in, that, in, in the, the waters in that part of the world at that time with their current level of technology, it was dangerous. But yet, he kept getting in the boat. He kept trying to travel that way because he knew it allowed him to take the story of Jesus farther away to more people. And he just kept giving his life for Jesus. And regardless of how much he was doing all these things, his life just kept going worse and worse and worse. And my thought is, if there was anybody who deserved to have their prayers automatically answered, it was Paul. If there was anybody who was so faithful, who did so much for the kingdom of God, that if, if God is going to, you know, do what you want because you were good, it, Paul should have all his prayers answered. But yet, that's not the way it was. Even Paul sometimes prayed passionately for things, and God told him no. And one of the most powerful stories is in the, um, the book of 2 Corinthians. If you want to grab a Bible, we'll be in 2 Corinthians. If you brought a Bible, awesome. If you didn't, there's a black one near you. If you're using the black Bible, it's page 970. Now, we call 2 Corinthians a book, but basically, it is a letter, just like we would, you know, used to write a letter. We are more email people now. Um, but we would, he would write a letter, and he sent it to a church in Corinth, Greece. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Corinthian people. And the reason we call it 2 Corinthians is because of the letters that Paul wrote to this church, this is the second one that we have in our Bible. So 2 Corinthians. And Paul here, he just gets done. We'll be in chapter 12, by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul, in chapter 12, is talking about the fact that God actually let him take a peek into heaven. Like God, or Paul actually got to see the place where God lives. He had this amazing kind of revelation where, where however it took place, whether God took him in his body or it was a vision, Paul got to see into heaven. And Paul kind of acknowledges, you know, not everybody gets to see into heaven. Like, and if there's something like maybe that could make a guy a little cocky, it might be the fact that God chose me to see into his home. It's like, hey, you ever been to God's place? No, it's pretty sweet. He took me. He didn't let everybody in, but he let me in, you know. And, and so Paul says, you know, it could, it could be a big deal. Like, it's this kind of a big deal to have God show me, let, let me kind of crack open the door and let me see into heaven. And so that's where he starts his talk in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So to keep me from getting a big head because he gave me this awesome gift and so I wouldn't be bragging about it. He gave me, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a thorn was given me in the flesh, excuse me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And so Paul, in order to not become conceited, says God chose to give him this thorn in the flesh. And, and we don't exactly know what a thorn in the flesh was. Um, 
It's, it's, I mean, he's using a metaphor there to say that something caused him pain. A lot of people have tried to guess what it was that Paul, you know, was causing him all this trouble. Some say bad eyesight. Some say depression. Some say he had epilepsy and would have bouts with seizures. But the truth is, we don't really know, and we don't really need to know. All we need to know is it was something that was debilitating and painful for him. The word harass there, he says, this was given to harass me. In, in the original language that the, the New Testament was written in, that is a word. That means uh, to strike, to beat, it means to cause physical impairment and to torment, meaning it is, is an ongoing agony that caused Paul to hurt. And he says, three times I prayed that God would take this away. Now, again, um, like I said, there's no real formula that you can go through, no magic words you can pray, okay? It doesn't matter how many these and thines and proper, you know, old English words you toss into your prayer. There's nothing we can do to make God more likely to answer our prayers. And so this wasn't like if I prayed three times, then he has to answer, you know? Or um, for those of you that have kids and, you know, they wake up one morning and they say, can I have cotton candy for breakfast? You're like, no. And then they say, please, a million times, thinking that they're eventually going to wear you down and you're going to say, fine, just eat all the cotton candy you want. Just close your mouth, okay? That's not what this is. I'm just going to, I bugged God several times and he still wouldn't give me what I wanted. That's not what this is. In fact, what he's saying here is there were three separate occasions where he passionately pleaded with God, where he passionately just begged God, please, I need relief. I need this pain to go away. Please, Father, take this from me. I can't stand. And he pleaded three times that it should leave. And, you know, I think so many of us can understand exactly where Paul is when he prays those prayers. Because how many of us have been in that moment when we're in pain or our deepest, deepest, darkest fears have been realized through some situation? And out of almost desperation and agony, we hit our knees and we just pray, God, take it away. God, I need relief. I need this to be taken away. I can't go another day. I can't even get out of bed with this. Please, God, take this away. Uh, I've said this before, but about a year and a half ago now, I had a bout with anxiety that I had never experienced before. I mean, I've always been kind of a nervous person, and uh, my mom and dad are a little nervous, and so I come by it honest, but I mean, I had this overwhelming anxiety that came over me, and I didn't know why. I didn't know what happened. It, it startled me. It scared me. Um, there were days when I could not even get out of bed. I found, for whatever reason, it reminded me of when I was a kid, the, the most comforting place was in bed under the covers, you know, because the boogeyman can't get you under the covers, I guess. I don't know, but that, but it, it just, it felt better, and, and in that time, I had, uh, panic attacks, and I never had a panic attack before, and the first one I had, my, my arms curled in, and I, I, I thought I was having a stroke. I had no idea what was going on. I'm sitting there with my wife, and she's, you know, so cool and being there with me through all of it, and I know she's scared, um, but I, I think I'm dying. I'm praying, okay, Jesus, take care of my family. If the, I hoped it wasn't going to end, you know, with me sitting in the bathroom, but if that's where I'm going to go, I guess that's where I'm going to go. And I was so terrified, and, and there were days when I would just kind of shut the door, and I would just pray, God, I need some relief. I can't go another day with this. Please take this away. I'm scared of everything and nothing, and I don't know what to do. And I mean, I mean, I was just so overwhelmed by everything and nothing at the same time, and I just prayed that same kind of prayer I feel like Paul prayed, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. 
And I know so many of you have prayed prayers like that, that moment where you just want God to bring you some sort of supernatural relief to undo whatever it is you find yourself in the middle of. And so then Paul goes on to tell us what his answer from Jesus was when he prayed three times. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That means no. He says, for, your, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. He said, Jesus, take this away. And he said, no, my presence, my grace for you is sufficient. I could, I could take it away. I've done it for other people. But in this situation right now for you, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, it says, my grace is sufficient. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor that God shows toward us. It is the tendency that God has to reach out for us and be with us and bless us and draw us close to him. It is something that we do not deserve and could not earn. And he says, my grace for you, the grace that I have shown to you all your life, Paul, the grace that I have shown to you by going to the cross and dying for your sins so that if there was anything between you and me that was evil or rotten, I could scoop it out of the way so that I could have a relationship, an unbroken relationship relationship with you that grace that I've shown you Paul in this moment it will be enough for you and that's so difficult to wrestle with that answer like I said there's when you're in that moment and you're praying out of desperation and the answer is no no matter what the the comforting my grace is sufficient for you that just doesn't always feel incredibly comforting but what I've noticed is that sometimes when we pray for things and I think Paul was kind of praying this way too we kind of, we don't want to pray for God's help. You know, we don't just want God's help. We want God to help us in the exact way that we want his help. God, I need you to do this for me, for Paul. God, I need you to take away this pain. For me, God, I need you to bring relief from my anxiety. God, I need you to do this. If you could just do this, then everything would be okay. I need you to heal this so then I can go on about my life. God, if you can just do this one thing that I desperately need, then everything will be okay. And Paul is saying, Jesus, I need you to take this away. And Jesus essentially says, no, what you need is me. What you need in even the depths of your pain is my presence the presence that I died to provide you with. You need me. Because Paul, I'm going to do something in you that I could not do if I granted your request. I could heal you, I've healed other people, but in this case, I'm not going to do it. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he adds a little bit more and he says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Meaning that, Paul, as you go through this and you discover my presence and by my grace, as you endure through the impossible day after day after day, it will become obvious that the only way you're able to go on is by my power. Paul, as you keep going through this tragedy, through this pain, by my grace, it will show you how much I love you and how much strength I am providing you even in the darkest times of your life. And again, this is one of those things that it's difficult to explain. You almost have to experience a moment like this. And, and it's one of those where you see somebody who's going through something and you look at them and you're like, how are you doing this? How do you even get out of bed in the morning? How can you even smile after all that you've been through? They say, I don't know. God, I guess, has just given me the grace to get through every day as it comes to me. And I've, I've talked with so many of you. I mean, we've had some terrible things happen around here in the last number of years. And as I talk with so many of you, I, I've asked that question, how you doing? I'm doing. How? I don't know. I guess it's just simply God's grace 
is getting me through. And, and you get on the other side, or as much as you can be on the other side of something terrible, and, and you wouldn't want it to ever happen again. In fact, you might not still kind of want it to be undone in the first place, but you would acknowledge that the only way you ever got through it was by God's grace in your life every single day as you went through whatever it was that you were going through. And Paul discovered the power that God showed him in weakness, so much so that he goes on. I mean, listen to the way the tone changes. He goes from praying in desperation, God, take this away, take this away, to getting told no. And then in the next verse, we get this. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's not strong under his own power. He's strong because at his weakest point, he's discovered the presence of his Savior surrounds him and gives him the grace and the strength to keep taking one step after another, after another, and God is with him, giving him the ability to keep going every day, even in the worst. And, he's say, and Paul is saying, because I've learned that Jesus is absolutely enough for me in all things, now I can brag about my weaknesses. I can brag about this thorn in the flesh. I can say, look, look at what Jesus, look how he's showing up and he's blessing me even at this time. Look at how God, the power that God has given me to keep going and keep ministering and keep traveling and keep starting churches, even though I've got this whatever the thorn was going on in my life. And he brags about his weakness so that he can boast about the goodness and the grace of his Savior. And so Paul prayed for something and was told no. And he discovered that somewhere in the midst of all the hurt was a blessing. Again, not the blessing he wanted, not the blessing he asked for, but indeed it was still a blessing. And, and too often when we ask God for things, we have this mindset where we almost I don't know, we come out at, at it angry, you know, God, here, here it is, I'm praying for this, and if you don't deliver this, I'm going to be mad at you. I'm going to be out. I've seen so many people get mad at God as their first reaction when they prayed, and he didn't give them what they wanted. But again, what we say at the beginning, prayer is not about getting our way. And when we approach God in that fashion, we are missing out on the blessing of his presence, because we're trying to get our plan taken care of. Prayer is not about you getting your way. It's about trusting God even when we don't. Because you see, what we do in prayer is we have this opportunity to lean in and trust our God in a moment when our world is out of control. And we, we can lean in and say, God, please take care of me. Please take this away if that's your will. But even if you don't, I want to know that you're still with me, helping me through even the worst moments of my life. So prayer is not about getting your way, it's about trusting God even when we don't. Now, should you ask for stuff? Absolutely. Do not feel guilty about going home and asking God to do whatever it is. Whether you're asking him to help you find your cell phone or find that perfect spot at the mall so you don't have to walk all that way or take away, you know, migraine headaches or whatever sickness or whatever, however big or small, keep asking God for things and absolutely believe that he has the power to answer those prayers. But like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Keep in mind at the end of your prayer, God, your will be done, not mine. It's not about me getting my way, but it's about me leaning in and trusting you no matter what the future holds for me. And so we will pray and we will ask, but we will also trust. We must also trust in the goodness of God that regardless of our circumstances, he is enough, he is trustworthy, and he is good. And he is with us even in the depths of our pain and despair 
So just realize that just because he doesn't bring you relief from whatever it is you're craving, that doesn't mean he's evil. That doesn't mean he's mean. It doesn't mean he's trying to destroy you. In fact, maybe, and I, I say this carefully because, again, your pains are so real. But there might be, even in the midst of that, and you might not see it for years and you might not see it for a long, long time, there can still be a blessing in the midst of all of that hurt and pain. So prayer is not about getting our way. It's about trusting our great, kind, loving, gracious Heavenly Father, even when we don't get our way. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all that you do. We are grateful for the ways you work in our lives. And I pray that you would give us open eyes to appreciate your work even in moments of pain and agony. So often pain blinds us to your work because it it makes us honestly a little selfish and that's not bad or evil on our part. That's just the nature of pain. It turns our eyes inward at the the wound that we have and and we reach out to you to to heal that wound. But I pray that you would in the moment, in the midst of some of our darkest times, when when we feel like you're not answering our prayers, you're not listening, you're you're not playing along, you're not doing for us what we need you to do, I pray that we would still be able to lean in and trust and try to appreciate the fact that you are still there with us. And that we are not the ones who have uh, all the control over the future. That's you. And I pray that in those moments of pain when we are probably just flailing, doing anything, trying to get out of it, that we would understand that you're God. And we would let you be God. And we would trust you with our future, whatever it is. So there are times when we're going to be mad at you. That's going to be our tendency when you don't deliver what we want. I pray that you would still give us eyes to see and you would soften our hearts in those moments. There are moments when we're going to be in agony and we're going to feel like you've left us high and dry. I pray that you would let us know your presence even in that darkness and that despair. And I pray, Father, that um, you would not let us lose faith simply because you didn't answer our prayer one time or 20 times or however many times we prayed. Don't let us lose faith because the greatest thing we need, even in our darkness, is not to throw away our faith, but it's to lean closer into it so that we can have your great and sufficient presence, so that we can learn that you being with us is enough no matter what our life is doing. Thank you, Father, for all that you do. Thank you for the ways that you work in our lives, even in, in difficult situations that we can't see all the, uh, the parts of and all the ways out of. You, you're still so good. Thank you for Jesus, who even if this life overwhelms us, He has already conquered this world and given us new life in him. And it's in his beautiful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen.